Welcome back, everybody. It's me, Matt Tinney, and... Jan Earhart. And you're about to listen to a didactic from the CIT Echo. To learn more about CIT Echo, check it out at gocit.org. You can also send Jen an email at... J-E-A-R-H-E-A-R-T at cobq.gov. Hope to see you guys soon. Enjoy. Bye. So, yeah, these guys have also talked about sort of going back to the basics of what is depression and how do we define it and how we diagnose it. So everything is diagnosed in psychiatry with this book right here. People can see that. There are committees and committees that decide, and then it's just a cookbook on how to make diagnoses. So every diagnosis if done properly has to fit into what the DSM says if it's done, at least in America. And so... I think to understand how that works and to understand the the different criteria, I think is important. So we'll really just look at it very closely. So with the DSM, there's always a list of symptoms, and then you need a certain amount of those symptoms over a certain amount of time, and then you have the illness. That's how all the diagnoses work. So it's a list of symptoms, pick out enough of them over enough time, and it can't be certain other things like you can't have major depression and bipolar. Some of them exclude each other. So there's just these lists and it's like a a formula that you follow and that's how you get the diagnosis. We don't have any blood tests. We don't have any, you can't do a brain scan. There's, There's none of that, at least not yet. And so everything is done via this DSM. So for major depression, there are nine. There are nine symptoms and you have to have at least five of them. And everybody in medical school and residency memorizes these nine things in using some kind of acronym. There's a whole bunch of different ones. But we'll just go over them one, one by one. So the first thing, you have to have five or more of the following that we'll discuss, and that has to be over two weeks. So it has, these has to basically be kind of an all-day, most of the day for two weeks. Um, it has to be a change from the previous functioning. So... It has to be a change from your baseline, and it has to last for two weeks. And two of the symptoms have to be either depressed mood or loss of interest in in life. So that being said, you can have a diagnosis of major depression and deny having a depressed mood and maybe not even look depressed. I mean, it's rare, but it can happen. It happens more with older folks, uh, especially, you know, older folks now, we have that kind of greatest generation these guys will never admit to being depressed. So they could be sort of crying, moping around the house, not eating, you know, medically fine, and have, have basically all the symptoms except they say their mood is okay, but they, they meet the criteria for depression. Okay, so that, that is the first of the nine symptoms, and I'll read it verbatim and we can talk about it. Depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by either subjective report e.g. feel sad, empty, hopeless, or observation made by others, e.g. appears tearful. And in children and adolescents, it can be just an irritable mood. Okay, so that means that, that they don't have to say, I'm depressed, but they can, they can be irritable, or they can, if they're a kid, or they can just say, I just don't feel like myself, I feel awful. So that's, it's important to, to meet people where they are, to use their words. And even the DSM says the same thing, as long as that means depression. And if you guys have any questions as we go along, please shout them out or type them out. Um, And then the next one is what's called anhedonia. 
So it's a markedly diminished interest and pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day, um, either by uh, subjective account or observation. So this means that someone, someone who's depressed used to like going to the park and playing with their kids, and now they don't. They used to like, you know, hanging out and going to the movies. It can even be like they used to like watching TV and now they can't focus and watch TV. It just doesn't interest them anymore. So when people start to lose, and you have to have one of these, depressed mood or loss of interest in life in order to get the diagnosis of major depression. And so you can just, anything that causes, any, anything, any major change in when you're losing interest in life is um, a sign of depression. And then the other one is a significant weight loss without, uh, without uh, trying. Um, and that can be, I can just read it, a significant, uh, without trying weight gain, a change of more than 5% of the body weight in a month. So let's think, if I weigh a, one, seven pounds or something in a month, that's a lot. I'm looking this up. It's a math thing. So that's a, a fair amount of weight to lose in a month. And it's also just, or just a decrease in appetite. Um, there is some exceptions in, in people can sometimes gain weight or have too much eating. Um, and that's sort of a more of an atypical depression. And here it says, and children consider failure to make expected weight gain, which is important. Okay, so then, so you're, you're losing weight. You don't have an appetite. Uh, the next one is insomnia or sleeping too much. So people can be just... Generally, what I see mostly is not sleeping enough, uh, and it's more that anxious, ruminating depression where they, they just can't sleep, and they're worried, and they're replaying things in their head, and they're worried about the day, and that's part of depression. So insomnia is another one. Or occasionally, people will sleep too much, just sleep all day. I shouldn't say occasionally. That can happen uh, often as well, but, but in my experience, it's loss of sleep is more common. Um, and then, and a lot of these overlap. So there are nine of them, but they overlap because the next one is, uh, uh, one of the next ones is loss of energy. So you just have no, I mean, if you're not sleeping or you're sleeping all the time, of course you're not going to have energy. And if you're not enjoying things and life is terrible, yeah, you're not going to have a lot of energy. Um, the other one is uh, psychomotor agitation or retardation. That means like not that good. retardation in the way it's supposed to be meant, <laughs> like a fire retardant. Um, Psychomotor agitation or retardation nearly every day. That's so observable by others, not merely subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down. And really for that to, that's one of the, the ones you don't see as much, at least I don't see as much in clinical practice. Because uh, for it to be really bad, people are really slowed down. It's pretty obvious. Um, I mean, they can get to the point where they like are stiff. But um, put this in layman's term, what? What just not see? so you'd either see you'd either see like fidgeting constantly moving not not being able to get comfortable that kind of thing pacing back and forth worried wringing your hands that kind of stuff that's agitation okay and then uh, uh, retardation would be just kind of slumped over walking really slowly talking really slowly not moving much not engaging much does that make sense yes Ben Landris APD I always think of it as like for some reason, gravity is affecting them more than it is me. Huh. Like they have a tough time getting out of bed, and they move really slowly, and they talk slowly. That's how I always picture it in my head. Yeah, I like that. And that's a good describe word. thinking slowly, right? right. Psychomotor. That's really good. Um, okay. 
feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, um, which could even be delusional nearly every day. So not just self-reproach or minor guilt. So this is one that is very common with depression. And it's a good one because it can help distinguish it from some other things. But uh, sort of that, that feeling of worthlessness, I'm not worth anything. I'm, I'm, and remember, this has to be a change from their baseline. So here, you, like you have Matt, clearly has a good self-esteem. And then, <laughs> and then let's say for two weeks, he's just, you know, I suck. I'm screwing everything up. The, the department would be better without me. What's going on? I, I'm, I'm, I, I just serve no purpose here. Oh, yeah. You know, my family is just, I just let them down all the time. I feel so guilty because, you know, I, I'm supposed to take them to daycare and I just don't have the energy. That's the kind of self-loathing that can go along with depression. That's a change from that. Change from normal. Because some people kind of are always just like, yeah, like the Eeyore. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Very Very good. Good. Do you have anything else you want to add? So be a winnie. What's that? Be a winnie the pooh, not you. <laughs> and I would say, if I may again do it, and that's an important one that, that ties into um, the NGRI attempts, right? So not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is so depressed that they think that they deserve the death penalty, then they cannot actively participate in their own defense, right? Because they think I should be killed for this. And that sometimes is a reason for, for them not being competent to stand trial. And so you need to treat their depression so that they don't um, undermine their own defense. So I feel wonderful. I want to live. Yeah. You're going to die. Okay, so that's feelings of worthlessness. <laughs> you're agreeing with your death sentence, we have to make you happy. <laughs> uh, so the other one is an inability or uh, diminished ability to think or concentrate, indecisiveness nearly every day. Um, so, and this could be really bad. Uh, people just can't decide about simple things. Like they can get paralyzed. Like, should, should I have the coffee or should I have the tea? Uh, and they just can't decide. And, and, and that's the extreme version but more, more typically you'll see like they, they can't decide. They'll obsess about small projects at work or should they do this or should they do that? And they just obsess where they used to not. Where they, and, or they just can't concentrate at all. One of the typical ones is I used to read books and I just can't focus. I can't read a book. So they it's just... It's very paralyzing for them as yes, well. Yes, paralyzing. And for that two-week period, you, that can be very noticeable where they're normally <coughs> productive. And then they just get hit with this paralysis of, you know, inability to choose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then suicidal thinking, recurrent thoughts of death um, or suicidal thinking. So if someone's just sitting there thinking about death all the time, even if they're not thinking about suicide, that's a, that's a criteria for major depression. <coughs> so I went through them one at a time. Those are nine of them. And you need five. And so that's just, and they haven't changed right much from the DSM, not three even. So these have been pretty rock solid over the years. And it's a, it's a, it's not, I shouldn't say it's a good diagnosis. It's a pretty accurate and valid diagnosis. Um, and it does run in families and mood disorders run in families. And so, so a few of the exclusions are if you've ever had a manic episode, you can't be, have major depression. You have bipolar affective disorder most recent episode depressed so and also with depression that goes along with uh, 
mania <coughs> often has a different flavor to it. It can be um, more reactive. Uh, so their, their mood can be more um, dependent on, you know, how things are going and what people say to them. They're more sensitive. Um, so they can have a good mood for a while and then it's kind of sink into things and they often sleep more and eat more than uh, the typical depression. Um, depression can be devastating. It's one of the leading causes of um, sort of uh, disability. disability in the world. Thank you. And lost wages and lost productivity. I think it might be number one. In the world. Is it number one in the world? I think yeah. maybe in the Western world it's number one. It's either that or cardiovascular disease, but they're they're both pretty high up there. We can double check on that. Maybe. Could they be hand in hand as well, though, too? Yes. Yeah. Cardiovascular disease can lead to depression, and depression can lead to cardiovascular disease. That's a good point. Yeah. Researchers everywhere. It's amazing. So uh, I have a question. Yes. When please. it comes to this kind of stuff, because this is, you know, someone comes into a clinic or they're looking for help, and you guys use this as a diagnosis. Does it matter if it was perceived by an event, like a parent's death or a child's death, and they've been grieving, and it's just been more than two weeks? Would it still be classified as major depression or depression, or would it be something else? Well, that's really up to the, the clinician. So if you were doing fine, and then you had a death in your family, and now you're grieving, you're grieving, and that's normal. Um, and a, a good clinician won't diagnose you with depression. But let's say you've been grieving for a week or a month, and now you're gotten worse. You're not eating. You're, you've lost all interest. You're not going out. You're not playing with your own kids. Um, and you're thinking about killing yourself. Uh, then that you can have both. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. A normal sign of grieving is not a new plan to shoot yourself. For example, you know, if you take all some of these symptoms to the extreme, even if it's during the short period where you could consider it grief, mm -hmm. that was one of the changes that they actually made between the last DSM and DSM-5, where, you know, they're talking more about making sure that you don't miss these more extreme mm -hmm. symptoms in this grieving period. And grieving, thank you, Danny, and grieving comes in, in, in waves. I mean, unfortunately, most of us have probably been through some kind of grief or a breakup or something. It's not constant. You know, depression has a more constant sort of every day, all day, where if you're grieving, you might have a good day today, and then tomorrow you wake up and you see something that reminds me of your, your deceased relative, and it just crushes you. And then it might throw you for a loop, maybe even that whole day. And it's, and it's, it's around that issue. So once it stops being around that issue of grieving, then it's creeping into other parts of your life. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, Dan Dewey here. Freud wrote a cool essay on this um, called Mourning and Melancholia. Um, and, and his main point was that, um, and, and I mean, DSM-5 is now the standard. So you have these symptoms more in two weeks, it's depression. But um, his, his kind of idea was that the difference between somebody who's just mourning and somebody who is kind of pathologically depressed as a result is a change in, in sense of self-worth. Um, his kind of model was that like, if somebody close to you dies, it can be very sad and you can not think that you're worthless. Right. But then when you start thinking that you're worthless in the context of somebody's death, 
that that somehow is, is different, um, that it's affecting your sense of self, um, not just your identity, if this was your long-term partner, you know, and, and kind of what's life going to be like now, but literally like, you know, I am, I have less worth as a person because of the absence of this other person. Uh, it's a good essay. Um, most of Freud's essays are really good. That's a, that's a neat Get one. On that. Jim sent it on the link. Okay. Oh, cool. So what happens though, if someone, you know, they're seeking help because clearly some of these symptoms are affecting their life, but it's not five of them. Let's say they're constantly in death, Great. they've lost weight or gained weight. Guess um, what I would do? I mean, does that just exclude them from that? Like What's they're the almost there? Yeah. You could give them, I think you can give them, um, and um, what is it? Not otherwise specified diagnosis. And say they don't meet the cool criteria for this reason, and then if you want, you treat them anyway. But you would treat them with whatever illness that's closest reasonable. Yeah. So depression or whatever yeah. else we have. That's a good question. Ben Miller, CPD had a question. Uh, I was surprised to learn that people in severe depression can have psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, how common is that? It's not that common. I don't know the exact numbers. I don't know if you know the numbers. But it's, it's relatively uncommon. But I, I guess it, it's not that uncommon since depression is so common. And so if depression gets pretty bad, it can... It can be, it can lead to psychosis. And it's also, it's psychotic symptoms, especially like delusion, can be on a continuum, right? And so you can hold on to them where they can seem really, really way out there and bizarre and frank voices, or you can hear just whispering or things like that. And so it, I think it's one, it's not the easiest thing to study, but it's not that uncommon. And you people will have with depression, they'll have the first one you see is sort of like, I'm worthless. I, I have no value. And is that delusional or is that just, you know, the, the illness? And it's sort of a judgment call. Um, and then if these kind of things get worse and worse, then you can start saying, okay, I'm, I'm worthless. The neighbors think I'm worthless. Maybe that's true. And then the, the, my neighbor's neighbors think I'm worthless. The teacher thinks I'm worthless. Yeah, not everybody in the world thinks you're worthless. And so that's the kind of delusion you first see. Everybody thinks I'm, you know, I'm not, I shouldn't live, I'm not worth anything. And then more and more bizarre things.